from Riverside Recovery. It's Reboot Your Life. Experience the ultimate reboot of your journey. Start anew and rediscover you. Transform your story. Rewrite your life. It's Reboot Your Life with Carrie Harrison and Ashley Neal. From the Riverside Recovery Studios in Tampa, Florida, Carrie Harris with you along with Ashley Neal. And thanks for listening to Reboot Your Life, where we help you get back the life you love. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. Each week, you'll get new episodes both on the radio and on every streaming platform. You can also tweet us at Reboot Your Life. Now, it's important to hear stories of people in recovery. We talk a lot about the process of recovery. We bring on uh, people from the VA administration to show how we can help vets fast track them into places like Riverside Recovery, which just got a commendation, by the way, for this kind of excellent good work. Uh, but we don't often get to hear the stories of people who've actually been recovered. And one of them is Alan D. He's sitting right next to us right now. And he's going to give us a little, uh, well, a real look into what it's like uh, before, during, and after, after meaning now. And Alan D., I want to welcome you to Reboot Your Life. Thank you very much. Let me just say right off the bat, it's an act of bravery uh, for anybody, anybody to be anywhere at the public stage, but to be able to talk about your real life. And Ashley and I have shared bits of our real life, but you're going to uh, probably go a little deeper than, than we have so far. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am yes. going to. <laughs> yes. And it, it's all in the service of helping people. And uh, Ashley, you are around in the treatment center, all kinds of people for whom this has become a new language for them. Telling yes. their stories. Yep. Yeah, it really is an act of bravery, but you also are helping so many people whenever you do that. People can relate whenever they hear your story. So let's just, uh, let's hear a little bit of it, Alan. Okay. I know you have, shall we say, a colorful story, <laughs> multidimensional. And, uh, Too many people know me. Oh, my God. Well, let's, <laughs> let's, let's start with why that may be, but okay. let's, let's jump into it uh, once upon a time. I'm 66, I wanted a bicycle, I wanted to play with Barbie, and uh, but I hid all those feelings, and I wanted to be in the kitchen, and my brother wanted to be out there in the garage with my dad, um, my, my brother wanted to ride motorcycles, and I wanted to stay home and gossip with my mother in her coffee clutch. As I grew, <laughs> as I uh, grew, uh, my family always struggled, so I figured the best way of getting out of it is get a job uh, earn some money so I can wear normal clothes I didn't have to wear hand-me-downs anymore I worked hard as a child two newspaper routes and a job in an ice cream parlor worked a lot to tell you the truth I really did I think I part of the reason why now that I think about it, I worked so hard back then is I didn't have to face reality I had a sick mother at home dying and uh, just a crazy family um, and I always felt different. But I started dating a young lady, a, a young girl when I was about 14. She was 15. And uh, we fell madly in love. I'm Italian Catholic. Uh, my older brother showed me the way. Um, his girlfriend got pregnant. I don't know how that happened. Only joking. And I figured, let me follow in his path. So I fell in love with this young lady. We got married. Um, here I am, about 17, 18 years old, married definitely wondering what happened and um, this marriage is going on it went on for about 10 years uh, very I would say a good marriage but there was something always always missing in that marriage uh, we fought a lot I ate a lot 
a lot. Mother passed away in this period of time. I moved back. I was in Florida when she passed away. Moved up back up to New York to get married. Got married. Pursued life normally. You know, nothing was wrong. She's just dead, but she's. I don't have to worry about that. And I just buried my feelings in food. <clears throat> I'm guessing, Alan, that you became larger. Much larger. Uh, I am a normal. My norm. My weight at that point was like th- 250, 275. I'm about a 150 pound person normally. I owned a restaurant, so I ate food constantly mm-hmm. um, and worked constantly. Thinking of it. now, that I think about it, I worked constantly, worked and ate constantly, and this is how I got to this weight. Um, it became a health issue, so I joined uh, Weight Watchers and Overeaters Anonymous, and I lost that person. I lost about a hundred pounds, and uh, but I picked up something else that I so I didn't have to feel have my feelings. I picked up the desire to drink, and I drank. Happy hour was fun for a little bit. I really have to say it was fun for a little bit, going out socializing. I was a little nervous of all the people out there, but I knew if I had a couple drinks, you guys would all love me. And you guys, I had great friends. Uh, Things started to change now. Rather than looking at the girls, I was looking at the guys differently. And uh, very ugly world that I thought back then being gay that it was something that you did at nighttime after the lights went down and in the daytime you were a straight business person um, which I found out later on I am not a straight business person Um, (laughs) my drinking my drinking went on very heavily I would um, drink quite a bit and um, I met a guy and I fell in love and it was a great relationship. Uh, I met him when I was drunk. <coughs> Woke up a couple a couple years later. I'm drunk. He's sober, and he's saying to me, "Your drinking's a problem. You're getting drunk every day. You're acting like a fool. You come. You're not coming home sometimes, and I'm not going to put up with this much further." So I said, "Okay." So he says, "What are you going to do about it?" And at that point, I, I figured, let me go. There's a group of people that are trying to stay sober. Let me go meet them. And I met them, and I became part of them. Um, and I stayed sober for about 10 years, just on meeting people and the desire not to drink. And I got great rewards. I got a new car, new BMW, a new convertible, about five new cars in that 10 years, traveled the world, um, all kinds of credit cards. All kinds of jewelry, all kinds of houses. Boy, life was life was good, and uh, this relationship was good. But you know, all things do come to an end. Here I am, sober. Think I've got the world, a great life, and I'm told that it's over. Here I am, sober, and I'm sitting in a in a group of people that are sober like me, and I'm telling them my life is falling apart. I don't know what to do. So this evening, it was back in early March of 2010, I decided to go home at midnight and um, the wheels fall off. I start screaming at myself and I swallowed a bottle of pills. This will get him back. I'll show him. He'll come back to me is my thoughts. 
and all of a sudden the chicken and meat got out and I said, oh my God, what did I do? Called 911, come and get me, I kill, I'm trying to kill myself, screaming and ranting and raving. I don't know how long it was, I was told that it was only about five minutes before they got there, but of course it felt like an hour. Woke up in a hospital room uh, with this stranger sitting by me, and I was told that I tried to kill myself. And I says, I really don't want to live. I really didn't want to live. And I got, and you know, then all of a sudden my husband comes up and he's sitting with me. We're sitting in complete silence. What a horrible feeling, man. It really was. Here's a man that knows everything about me. And here, here I am. I can't say anything about anything because I don't know what's going on. Here I am um, knowing that the relationship is over. There's no way of restoring it at this point. Um, knowing that I don't don't know how to live without him so I get out of the treatment center and I proceed with all that I know I have drink I have a cocktail that will make it all better I have another cocktail I'll get on the internet I meet people that come over five years later after ending up in the hospital two or three times because of seizures, because of strokes, I start telling people, these professional people, I just don't want to live. I promise I won't kill myself. Because I knew if I tried to kill myself and didn't kill myself, you put me in one of those little rooms. <clears throat> and that's definitely not what I wanted. But you tell enough people, these professional people, that you just don't want to live and can't do anything, they start worrying about you. I'm going to jump in for a second and just reintroduce you. We're talking to Alan D. This is Reboot Your Life. We're hearing uh, a real person's story so that you can understand what a lot of people go through. Now, people that you know, people that you know socially, this may be their story and maybe they've never told it to you. You can't really know until people actually divulge this. And the purpose of Alan telling the story is so that the tens of thousands of people, whether you're driving right now, whether you're hearing this as a podcast, you're going to connect to it somebody's going to connect to it and realize that there is a way out, out of whatever. And Alan D., you also have part of your story that has to do with health that mm -hmm. also took it to yet another level. Okay. Yes, I definitely do. Prior to this period that I'm not wanting to live, relationships over, the relationship of 10 years is over, I find out that, um, I find really honestly, to be honest with you, I found out during the relationship, about two years in the relationship, that I was HIV positive. And I was diagnosed back in the early, late 80s, early 90s. And if any of you guys remember, those were really not very pretty times. And uh, they told me that I don't have much, much to go on. So of course, this guy comes into my life, he saved my life, gave me a beautiful life, but here the relationship's over. I'm not taking care of myself. Medication isn't. I'm not taking my medication. My health is in really poor, poor condition. Uh, the facts are, I'm full-blown AIDS, um, COP situation where I can't, I can't breathe. I'm smoking two packs, three packs of cigarettes a day. I'm not eating much. Um, so these professional people were really concerned about me. So one afternoon, they called called me up and said, can we come over and visit you? I said, what for? She said, we got an idea. we got some money for you. 
we're going to get you some money. And that sounds like a good idea because I didn't have much coming in at that come point. Come on down. <laughs> so I says, come on over. The price is right. And uh, so he came over about 10 o'clock on a Wednesday morning. I think it was like the 7th of March of 2010 or so. Please don't hold me to the dates. Um, but he comes over. This guy's Ian. He's about 6'2". And he's talking to me and talking to me. And he's, t- he's telling me about some of the things that he witnessed with me. And then he says to me, hey, man, um, what's your plan in life? I says, I got no plan. You don't understand. I'm ugly. I'm old. I, I'm diseased. I'm a faggot, excuse my language, that all I want to do is is die. And he, he turned around and says, do you got a phone? And I said, sure. He says, can you start telling me some of these people that, that are on there? And, of course, I've got all my family i got a lot of do not answer because all those people are bill collectors <laughs> and people that want to sell me something that I don't need and can't afford. And then all of a sudden I come start coming across some of these people that I know through, through periods of time in my life <coughs> that I chose not to drink and we hung together. And I start calling these people up and I'm leaving messages. You don't remember me. My name is Alan. We met at blah, blah, blah. And uh, this this crazy guy is telling me to call you. And uh, finally, somebody calls me back. His name is Dave, Dave M, um, from this from this group of people. And I remember this man. You know, I remember who he is after a while. And he says to me on the phone, "Are you still at the same place?" I says, "Yeah," because I knew I haven't moved in years. He says, "Great." And he hung up the phone. So I said, "I said to this guy that's at my house, I said, see." Nobody cares. They're all going on with their lives. Nobody wants me. Nobody loves me. You know, poor pity party. All of a sudden, a knock on the door. It's about quarter to 12. And I open the door. There's there's Dave, Dave M. He's from the program. Handsome gentleman. About 10 years, 10 years senior of me. Uh, probably the age that I am now, thinking about it. And uh, healthy. I remember seeing him. He buried a husband. Uh, filed bankruptcy went through cancer but didn't need that crutch that I needed that alcohol that food that sex those things to bury my feelings he faced them and he says what's going on Alan I says you don't understand I'm back to the same phrase this is all I got this is all I am I have no reason to live I have accomplished nothing forgetting that this man has known me almost a decade has witnessed me being a successful realtor, seeing me having restaurants, seeing me helping other people, seeing me go to treatment centers and detox centers, seeing me in in different places, um, being friendly, helping with functions and fundraisers. I forgot all that. Mm. Because here I am in my dark little corner, my little one-bedroom apartment that I'm not paying rent for, not taking showers, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day not taking care of my cats that I've had for a year and I still think they're kittens and they're still living in the kitten litter box so you can imagine what my house smelled like so he proceeds to tell me who I am and what I was and who I can be and I says I don't know I don't think there's a re- I don't think there's a reason I says I'm, I'm gonna die of AIDS I've got no T-cells you don't understand and then this man says to me would you try something just for me, just one time more. I says, That's, that stuff doesn't work. And I really didn't think it worked. And he says, just try it one more time. 
I says, okay. This professional guy, Ian, says to me, um, you probably shouldn't just stop drinking. We probably need to do something. I says, no problem. I got a detox center programmed into my phone. Because I've been there three times already. I've been suicide twice. I know how to get in touch with it. Called him up. This detox center. Hey, this is this is me. And I've been there before. These people are telling me I need to come back because if I don't, I can get seizures and die. She says, well, we don't have any beds right now. See, Gene, they know, see, Dave, they have no rooms. And he turns around and says, well, see what the plan is. So he says, well, we can get you in a week from today. And says, okay. Because, and I said, in the meanwhile, I knew the answer already. She says, please don't stop drinking completely. Maybe taper off. Maybe have one or two... <clears throat> But please don't stop drinking. What does this drunk here? Hooray, I can drink as much as I want. <laughs> it's free. Given I have permission. Seven days. <laughs> yeah, I got seven days to drink as much as I want. For some reason, they all left. And uh, for some reason, I finally felt like I could take a shower. I straightened up my house a little bit. Got dressed. Stopped at happy hour. Haven't been out. Haven't been out in the public. So where do I go? I go to a bar, bar that nobody knows your name, and um, and I sat there, had a couple drinks. I said, "This isn't going to do it. Let me just pick up my bottle." Liquor stores right next door. I drive down the back streets so cops can't get me, um, and I drive better when I'm drunk. It's insane things we think. Yeah. <laughs> insane <laughs> things. I was going to say, yeah. They're not going to catch they're not going to catch me on the back streets. Yeah. So I pull my I bring my bottle home. I buy a gallon when I was ones with the handle in the plastic jug, the cheap stuff because I have no money. And I go home proceed to drink. Damn it, the phone rings at seven o'clock at night. I don't know why I answered it, but I did because normally in this condition you don't answer phones. There it is, Dave. Dave, what do you want? He says, Alan, what are you doing? Of course, I lied. I'm having a cocktail. I really had a bottle. He says, do you think you can stop drinking? I says, I don't know. He says, do you think you're going to go to bed soon? I says, yeah. He says, do you think you can wake up like 6 o'clock in the morning? He says, I don't know. But I knew I always passed out around 11 o'clock from drinking. Somehow I woke up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning to start drinking again. And I says, why? He says, we found you a bed in a detox center. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I really don't mean it. I was really looking forward for another week of drinking. Somehow I felt I did pass out. I did not fall asleep. Following morning, the knock on the door wakes me up. <clears throat> for some reason, I need coffee. So I start making coffee. For some reason, the coffee pot's shaking. And uh, I can't get the water into the pitcher. So Gene proceeds to help me make that coffee. And I can't tell you how many mornings I woke up to make coffee. Instead of having coffee, I would have a cocktail. And the cocktail normally would have cigarette butts in it. But I'm not going to waste good alcohol. God, I was ugly back then. Oh, that's disgusting. I didn't. So that afternoon, he drives me over to this detox center. In fact, he picked up another guy that I knew. And we drove over together. And I probably was too drunk to be there, but because they knew me, they let me in. I slept, and I slept. And about two or three days later, I came to, I woke up, 
felt a little bit better. And these gentlemen came in and talked to me about what, I, what about my life, about talking to me, telling me that, you know, we people, we can't just have one. Are you familiar with Riverside Recovery of Tampa? Well, they offer a profound, all-embracing approach to addiction treatment. With a dedicated team of empathetic professionals, Riverside Recovery is committed to guiding individuals on their path to enduring recovery, using a variety of science-backed therapies, counseling, and support services. Riverside Recovery values the individuality of every recovery journey. Their tailored treatment plans respond to the specific needs, the hurdles, the goals of each resident, providing effective aid regardless of whether you're taking your first steps in recovery or maintaining your progress. With Riverside, recovery isn't just achievable, it's an influential journey towards a healthier, brighter future. The testimonials of those who've undergone treatment there are evidence of rediscovered self-worth and potential. Located on the tranquil Hillsborough River of Tampa, Riverside serves as a peaceful haven, promoting self-discovery and healing. They acknowledge that recovery is about more than just overcoming difficulties. It's also about finding your innate strength and resilience. The Riverside Recovery's committed team are your empathetic allies in your recovery journey. They comprehend that genuine healing involves the mind, the body, and the spirit, meticulously dealing with all facets of addiction. You can discover more at rrtampa.com. That's rrtampa.com. Or reach out at 1-800-871-5440. That's 800-871-5440. 800-871-5440 or rrtampa.com. Check out our Reboot Your Life hotline. We've set up a dedicated phone number so you can leave your comments, thoughts, and feedback whenever you'd like. It might even get on the air. Maybe you have a story that you feel needs to be shared or told. So, get it off your chest. Text or call our Reboot Your Life hotline at 323-8-REBOOT. That's 323-8-REBOOT. 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 Life 2.0. It's your life and your reboot. It's Reboot Your Life with Carrie Harrison and Ashley Neal. I'm thinking about how many times did I go out and go to a bar, or even in the evening, and I'm only going to have one, and wake up on Tuesday, you know, in a disgusting way, uh, because I couldn't have one. I even tried one time. I went to a bar and I had one cocktail, one half of a cocktail. Sorry, guys, but I met Mr. Wright that afternoon. And I thought it would be Mr. Wright for life, but it ended up being Mr. Wright for the evening. And um, I went home with him and didn't have, didn't drink for about a week. But I had a fun time that Saturday night. So I said, let me try it again next Saturday following Saturday night I'm walk, running home from one of these places that a lot of us people that didn't want to drink are hanging out at and I stopped at the bar on my way home because where else do you meet nice people but bars <coughs> and I walked in there it was depressing sad bar and I I always say somehow a drink appeared in front of me to be completely honest with you folks I ordered the drink I drank that drink. I went home. On my way home, I picked up a bottle. 
It was only a little pint. It lasted me a week. I don't have a problem. This whole little bottle lasted me a week. <laughs> As the cycle starts again. But in that detox center, they taught me about staying away from that first drink, that I have a disease, that I'm not a bad person, I'm not an ugly person, I just have a, I'm a person that has a problem. I'm a person that's allergic to alcohol. How can you be allergic to alcohol when I can drink so much? And I question these guys, and they say, well, we put it in us and we want some more. Our bodies don't... Um, kick it out like like real like other people that can drink like normal human beings I like to feel crazy normal people don't like to feel crazy and um, so they explained to me as far as this drinking drinking what it does to me and for some reason I finish these two meetings come in and we finish with them and I go up to the people professional people and says I'm ready to leave they want me to go to treatment centers longer care and I says no I know what I need to do I need to go to my people and they're going to help me stay sober and I went to my people the night that I got out of the detox center and I went to my people and hung out with them learned to be honest about who and what I really am and uh, learned to be honest about um, what I really want in life and just learn to be honest because all I did, all I thought is I was a f dying of AIDS. And the truth of the matter is if I took medication, <clears throat> if I took my medication, exercised, ate properly, stopped drinking, stopped smoking, I could have a, I could have a good life. I look at my life today and, uh, you know, I, I've got a pretty good life. I've, my T-cells have come back. Um, the virus is undetectable. I said, you know, I'm 66. I'm an old man. I got some health issues. I got lots of friends. I got money in the bank. I got a little place that I can call my own. I got a little car that I can drive. And I find myself today going around and talking about what I've what I've gone through and how my life is today. I find myself sitting in front of these people at this treatment center and telling them that, that you can't drink one, you can't just have one, and what what that does to you. I understand that there's been people around like me for many years, and I am in honor that I can be one of those people that have 15 years without having substances in me. <clears throat> I don't drink my feelings away. <clears throat> I don't eat my feelings away. I don't drink my feelings away. <clears throat> sometimes I have to feel, and believe me, I don't like it sometimes. But I have friends that I can talk about it, discuss about it. Some of my feelings are not real. Some of the fears I have are not real. <clears throat> Some of them are. <clears throat> but you know, I got tools to work through them. And if you're struggling out there, you don't have to live in that way of living anymore There's, there is a way out and I do this one day at a time I don't do anything differently than I did the week that I got out of the treatment center I don't do anything different than be honest being open-minded is a different way of thinking become willing and I know I can't change anything in the past can't do anything in the future so I need to accept it I've had opportunities to uh, have a conversation with that ex-wife 
Then I thought I did nothing nasty to her for her to have an affair on me. But my God, here I am in a marriage thinking about guys, and she has an affair. I think I would too if I wasn't being paid attention to, and I said I was sorry. And we've got a great relationship. As far as my ex-husband, I did him wrong. He told me to go on with my life. We have no relationship. But I do have a good relationship with myself and thousands of other people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you. Wow. What a incredible moment to hear a story so deeply and, and so honestly and transparently told. Uh, I know a lot of people related to it. We may never meet those people. We may meet those people in our paths. Hard to know, but touching people lets people know that they're not alone in this. And I, I know Ashley and I both are really grateful that you showed up today, Alan, and shared with us. Thank you for having me. I think one of the most interesting things about hearing somebody's story is how different we are, but how similar our struggle is. And yes. you just instantly feel connected to someone like you and I just met. Yes. But yes. I resonated so much with part of your story, several parts of your story, actually. So, you know, we have a lifelong connection now. <laughs> this is true. I have made lifelong friends and have been able to go places that I thought I never, never could go to. And, you know, these treatment centers, the ones that you work at, you do a lot of a lot of good. And, you know, my treatment center was a detox center. It was county run. But they did what they had to yeah. do and sent me in the right direction of what I needed to do. And, you know, I, I, had, I did, failed the first, second, and third time. But finally, somehow, and I, I have to call it my higher power, um, got me through. It got mm. me to be a different person. You know, I can look in the mirror today and say, hey, you're all right. Yeah. You know? it, I think it's important to mention, too, that it takes what it takes. I talked to somebody on the phone this morning that just sounded extremely hopeless and they shared with me that they had been to treatment multiple times but i said it takes what it takes you know you're making the step now again mm -hmm. you know what to do yeah it's funny when we in anything of life and you hear people talk about hitting bottom rock bottom in whatever their thing is it can be eating it can be smoking cigarettes it can be drugs and alcohol it can be all kinds of things but it doesn't look the same to everyone, but it feels the same to everyone. And Alan, you talked a bit about the allergy, which is a very interesting sort of paradox and conundrum for a lot of people, which is how can I be allergic to it? I love it so much. Like if I eat shrimp and I'm allergic to shrimp, I get anaphylaxis and I die. There, end of story, done. I'm probably not gonna eat shrimp. Um, people that are allergic to strawberries, and we all know people who are. They, they know that a strawberry shortcake is delicious, but they're not craving strawberries. They don't serve peanuts on airplanes anymore. Why? Because we know what happens. People aren't craving peanuts. But with alcohol, though you have the same allergy, and it's the only food source in the world where the more you eat, the hungrier you get. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like an inverted allergic reaction that makes no sense. And so, you know, after drinking a bottle of whiskey, now you're ready to start drinking. The mm -hmm. normal person would be like, are you kidding? I'm never going to touch it again. As they would with a, a chocolate cake. You eat one, you're probably going to lay off for a few months. With booze, it's like, oh, no, no, no. You know, let's get going. When I was um, younger and I was apprenticed as a chef, <clears throat> I had burns up and down my arms. And, you know, after a while, I realized if I don't 
pick up that pan with my hands, I won't get burnt. <laughs> it's the same thing with what I go through now. If I don't pick it up, I won't get burnt. The difference between a shrimp allergy and a peanut allergy is you get that feeling that your throat's closing. I say, oh, maybe I need to stop. Alcohol tells you, no, no, you want more of me. You want more of me. And I can't tell you how many times I sat there and says, I don't want another drink. And I had and I had another drink. You know, I got a little memory going on right now. I'm, I'm on like the 10th week of not smoking. And it's the same thing uh, that I have to do. I just got to push through that moment, that stupid one moment of thinking that I, I can drink and eat and drink, eat, and sleep like other people. I'm, I'm you know, I, I've got what I got and I got to work through it. Yeah, it's a tough thing because it, you know, you can get things called re- euphoric recall, which is you remember the good times. I remember the good times. Gasparilla, you know, on the float, <coughs> waving at people. That's what you remember. You don't remember the part where you fell, fell off, off and broke your arm, <laughs> you know, and the six months in traction. You just remember the moment on the float. And alcohol is, is this cunning foe because it plays mind tricks, which is how for people, if you're listening right now and you don't have problems with drugs and alcohol and it's anathema to you, you have no idea why anybody would go through that again and again and again. Or you know someone who goes through that again and again and it makes no sense to you. It's because it, it talks to people. There's a chemical reaction in the brain, something called tetrahydrohyzoquanoline, THIQ, along with a bunch of other chemicals that act essentially as a sister compound to heroin. So as soon as you put the molecules of beverage alcohol in the body, it's like you suddenly have heroin and you must have more. Not you should have more, you could have more, you must have more. And the brain is telling you, feed me or else. And the, and the or else, you can make up in your mind what the or else is, but that's even worse. And you get stuck on this hamster wheel and most people die. Most people die, so it's a real gift when there's some kind of intervention, whether it's friends or a real intervention, or a treatment center you can go to, yep. uh, Ashley, which can change the game for people. Yeah, and it's not just about a physical death. I mean, people that we know, and I think we can probably relate as well, there are other deaths that can occur, a spiritual death, an emotional death, oh, yeah. um, you know, the feeling of being completely spiritually and mentally bankrupt. Something else that you said that I related to was you had that moment whenever you recalled almost like the like animalistic things that you would do that you thought at the time that you were doing them were normal. And then now that when you recall them, you are repulsed by them. Yep. Um, I, and I think that is what a lot of people who don't use drugs or drink excessively, but they watch their family members do it they're left with that feeling of they have so many consequences how can they continue to do this but it's important to note that when you're taking in these substances your brain is chemically changed and i mean it's like the wild wild west out there (laughs) once your brain is chemically changed And and it does take a while for it to go back to its normal state to where you can recognize oh these things that i'm doing are not who I am these things are not representative of who I want to be and the things that I want to participate in and um Carrie you mentioned bottoms I mean everybody 
has a different bottom some people you know what may be the thing that gets me sober may not be the thing that gets you sober Mm -hmm. i am you know my bottom i didn't get arrested i i lived in a house that i sort of owned my net it was i bought it it was in my nephew's name i had a car had no insurance no money for gas you know and i had a horrible life I, i stunk i really did stink and that was and my bottom. Today you don't. <laughs> no, no, I, I take a shower. I take a shower today. Uh, but I, I have friends that killed people. They're in jail for life. Um, I got friends that have more than one DWI, and and you know they're sober today. Uh, I've got friends. I got. I have a friend that all that happened to her. She broke an old teacup. It was an old champagne flute. Thinking about it, now that I think about it. And she comes into the group of us and says, I've had enough. And I asked her, I said, well, what, what, what happened? I broke a family heirloom last night, and mm-hmm. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not, and she never drank again. She didn't have to go as far as, far as I went or as far as some other people go. If you have enough, you have enough. Mm-hmm. You, you'll know if you, if you want to stop. My father, and I am his son, so I carry that elusive gene um, so, you know, I saw the writing on the walls and I was able to stop in time as you were, Alan. Um, but I watched him die of acute alcoholism. And most of us don't ever actually see that moment, but I watched it all the way to the finish line. And he could not stop. He had gone to uh, Hazelden. He had gone through all of these different things, but he just was one of those guys who is incapable of being able to like deal with the fact that he was an alcoholic. I think maybe the word was too much for him. I don't know what it was, but he kept going and he had developed on his back these sores and he would bleed into his sheets. I mean, this is what end-stage alcoholism looks like. He was 52 to 52 years old when he died. The average age of an alcoholic, I think, is up to 53 now. Good nutrition. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. And... He had snow white hair. He was in a wheelchair with polyneuropathy of the arms and legs and told people it was old age. And he looked 85 and couldn't walk anymore, um, you know, with giant legs because the liver, among many other things, recirculates liquids. Your heart isn't working right. Um, So he was bloated and distended. And when you're caught up in the middle of your alcoholism, some of us, or I would say many of us, have interesting stories whether it's the champagne flute or much worse Um, my father decided to elope with a woman who had married five previous alcoholics who had all died and she took their money and so one month before his death uh, he married her which in the state of Florida gave her 50% plus more and then she brought little airplane bottles of vodka into the hospital as he was dying of alcoholism and poured them down his throat and he thought that was okay because he wanted the vodka all the way to the very end. And then I watched him suffocate to death. And I remember the nurse started crying when he coded, took me out of the hospital room, and she was crying. And I thought, why is the nurse crying? She really doesn't know my father. She said, I've never seen alcoholism jump from one person into another. I said, what do you mean? She said, the second your father died, which had been just minutes earlier, your stepmother picked up the phone, called the bank, and transferred his checking account into hers. 
right in front of the doctors. And she said that was like, for them, they saw alcoholism. That's what it looks like. These kind of actions that seem so horrific to other people, but when you're stuck in it, it's like a good choice. And then when you become sober, you start to see things for real. You fix the damage of your past. You stop having all this guilt and shame and remorse, morbid reflection, as some people call it, and needing to just kill yourself because you're so ashamed and so horrified by everything you've done. But your life actually gets good. And rehearsed behavior, there's something to be said for it, neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. It's like playing tennis. You play more and more, you get better and better. Piano, guitar sailing, yachting, whatever it is. And if you live a daily life of as a non-drinking person, it actually becomes normal to be a non-drinking person. And if you practice in many of these recovery programs telling the truth and doing good stuff, you suddenly become a truth teller and a good stuff doer. And then you, you like yourself and others like you too. Hang on, your reboot reboots in a moment. Riverside Recovery of Tampa was created to offer state-of-the-art treatment options to people suffering from addiction. The model was developed to meet clients and their families where they are at and provide them with the tools and education needed so that they can achieve long-term recovery. No two people are the same, and no two people have the same experience with addiction. And it is for this reason that we tailor each treatment plan to the unique needs of each individual. Located alongside the Hillsborough River in the heart of Tampa, Riverside Recovery offers the full continuum of care. And what that means is that we offer medical detoxification, residential care, day treatment, intensive outpatient, and outpatient levels of care. The program at Riverside is focused on high quality clinical care offered in a safe, comfortable, and serene environment where everyone feels empowered to change the course of their lives. The stigma that surrounds addiction continues to be high on the list of reasons that people do not seek help. At Riverside Recovery, we are working to change the narrative and empower people to recognize addiction as a disease, not a moral failing. We can recover, and we do, as evidenced by the thousands of people who have taken that courageous first step and asking for help. The staff at Riverside understand what it's like to recover. In fact, over 75% of our staff are in long-term recovery. If you or someone you know needs help and are ready to seek treatment, call Riverside Recovery of Tampa at 1-800-871-5440. That's 800-871-5440. You can learn more about the treatment we provide at rrtampa.com. Again, that's rrtampa.com. Life 2.0. It's your life and your reboot. It's Reboot Your Life with Carrie Harrison and Ashley Neal. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Alan. Thank you. And um, uh, this was a down and dirty episode, for sure. <laughs> this is probably the deepest we've gotten so far. But we'll be doing more of it. And uh, Ashley, I appreciate your good work that you do when you're not here on the show you're at it seven days a week helping others and there's a joy in that isn't there mm -hmm. yeah yeah i love it um uh, i think my husband might have something else to say about it i do tend to be on my phone a lot but um it is a something that i've thought about um over the years that i never thought that i would be the person that 
many people would reach out to, you know, people that I went to high school with, people that I grew up with, people that I went to college with, people that I've encountered, you know, in my career that know that I'm in recovery and feel comfortable to reach out to me whenever they need help or a family member needs help. So that that is a very rewarding feeling. So you know how to get in touch with, uh, and we do recommend uh, Riverside Recovery because they do this wraparound care, plus they really help our veterans, which as you know is is a heart and soul thing uh, for me, for Ashley, uh, for Alan, for really anybody in Florida and way beyond. Um, you can always reach out when you hear the number and take care of yourself and others and just know the water is warm and uh, we will always be here to help you. You can tweet us at Reboot Your Life. You can go to RebootYourLifeShow.com uh, and check out some of the other services. And I want to thank you, Carrie Harrison, with you, along with Ashley Neal. And our guest has been Alan D. today for joining us today thank and uh, having this intimate time together. Check out our Reboot Your Life hotline. We've set up a dedicated phone number so you can leave your comments, thoughts, and feedback whenever you'd like. It might even get on the air. Maybe you have a story that you feel needs to be shared or told. So, Get it off your chest. Text or call our Reboot Your Life hotline at 323-8-REBOOT. That's 323-8-REBOOT. 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 Carrie Harrison with you, and this is Reboot Your Life. Don't forget you can follow us anytime at RebootYourLifeShow.com. RebootYourLifeShow.com. You can also tweet us at Reboot Your Life. Let's talk for just a quick second about alcoholism because a lot of people are wondering, so what is this? We heard an incredible story, an intense story, a real-life story about a guy who had gone through seemingly impossible odds and was able to find recovery, pull himself up, and have a good life that he's living today. The diametric opposite of what it used to be like, and that, of course, is the story for millions of people out there who do choose to jump off the high dive and seek recovery. So let's talk, let's take a deep dive for a second into the fascinating world of alcoholism. Grab your favorite non-alcoholic beverage if you can and settle in. So let's explore the ins and outs of really a complex condition. First off, let's think about the brain. Your brain is like the control center of your entire body. It's responsible for everything from basic functions like breathing and blinking to more complex tasks, tasks like decision-making and emotions. Now, when someone starts drinking heavily, it's like throwing a wild party in the brain because alcohol just doesn't affect how you feel in the moment. It actually alters the chemistry of your brain. <clears throat> and this is like super important because this is the core of the issue. Why do people keep doing it over and over again? So it's like when you put alcohol in the brain, it's like tossing a bunch of rowdy guests into your city streets, causing chaos and disruption. This is what's happening in the brain now. Alcohol messes with the neurotransmitters, which are like the messengers that allow your brain cells to communicate with each other. And specifically, it enhances the effects of inhibitory neurotransmitters like GABA, which makes you feel relaxed and sedated, while also dampening the activity of excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate, which can impair your coordination and judgment. All these things are important chemicals in the body and are supposed to be balanced until you add booze into the equation 
And if you have alcoholic tendencies, your biochemistry changes, whereas other people's simply does not, which is why it seems a mystery. So here's where things get really interesting. With repeated heavy drinking, your brain starts to adapt to the constant influx of alcohol. It's like, uh, like the city installing barricades and roadblocks to try to maintain order amidst chaos. And over time, these adaptations can lead to tolerance where you need more and more alcohol to achieve the same earlier effects. And then you have dependence where your brain relies on the alcohol just to be able to function normally. In other words, no alcohol, no normal brain function anymore. So you actually need the alcohol to have what feels like a normally function, functioning brain. Then there's genetics. So your genes play a significant role in determining your risk of developing alcoholism. We all know about genes. We know about gene therapy. We've done DNA tests. We know that a lot of us have predispositions toward blonde hair, or blue eyes, green eyes, brown eyes, uh, dark skin, light skin. These are our genes. So with alcoholism, uh, it's like having a genetic predisposition to certain health conditions. Some folks may have a family history of alcoholism, which increases their likelihood of experiencing similar struggle, struggles because it's genetic. And scientists have even identified specific genes that may influence susceptibility to alcoholism, including genes that are involved in alcohol metabolism, how you break it down, uh, neurotransmitter signaling, how your brain processes while you're drinking, uh, and of course, basic stress response. So here's the thing. Genes aren't your destiny. Just because you have a genetic predisposition to alcoholism doesn't mean you're destined to struggle with it. But your environment also plays a crucial role in shaping your drinking behaviors. So it's like nature versus nurture. While your genes may load the gun, your environment pulls the trigger. So think about it this way. If you grew up in a household where alcohol abuse is common, we don't call it that anymore, a substance use disorder, really, uh, if it's common or hanging out with friends who drink heavily, can increase your risk of developing a drinking problem yourself. So you kind of are what you eat and you are who you hang out with. It's like being surrounded by temptation at every turn it makes it harder to resist the urge to indulge. So there's good news. Your brain is incredibly resilient. Just as a city can recover from a natural disaster, your brain can bounce back from the damage caused by alcoholism. And with the right treatment, and support, you can actually start to rebuild those neural pathways and reclaim control over your life, or as we say, and our friends at Riverside Recovery, you can get back the life you love. Treatment for alcoholism often involves a combination of therapies, which can include behavioral interventions or medications, support groups. It's like having a whole team of experts working together to help you on your journey to recovery. And behavioral therapies such as cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT as it's called or motivational interviewing or MI, these things can help you identify and change unhealthy patterns of thinking and behavior related to alcohol use. So uh, there are medications like naltrexone, um, which is commonly used to help reduce cravings and prevent relapse. Uh, there are support groups like Alcoholics Anonymous, or AA as it's commonly called, and these provide a sense of community and understanding from others who have walked a similar path successfully. And let's not forget about the importance of self-care and lifestyle changes. Eating a healthy diet, just like they say, it matters. Getting regular exercise, it matters. 
and finding healthy ways to cope with stress can all play a role in supporting anybody's recovery journey. It's like laying down a solid foundation for a sturdy building. If you take care of yourself, you're setting yourself up for success in the long run. So whether you're struggling with alcohol yourself or you know someone who is, know that there is hope and there are millions of people who have success stories of recovery because recovery is not only possible, but you don't have to face it alone. And with the right support and the right treatment, you can rewrite the story of your brain and build a brighter future. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Reboot Your Life. So appreciate your hanging with us, listening to us, watching us, writing to us, tweeting to us, and hanging out with us, and uh, upskilling and finding that brighter future for yourself. Looking forward to seeing you next week, and I hope you have a great week. Riverside Recovery of Tampa was created to offer state-of-the-art treatment options to people suffering from addiction. The model was developed to meet clients and their families where they are at and provide them with the tools and education needed so that they can achieve long-term recovery. No two people are the same, and no two people have the same experience with addiction. And it is for this reason that we tailor each treatment plan to the unique needs of each individual. Located alongside the Hillsborough River in the heart of Tampa, Riverside Recovery offers the full continuum of care. And what that means is that we offer medical detoxification, residential care, day treatment, intensive outpatient, and outpatient levels of care. The program at Riverside is focused on high-quality clinical care offered in a safe, comfortable, and serene environment where everyone feels empowered to change the course of their lives. The stigma that surrounds addiction continues to be high on the list of reasons that people do not seek help. At Riverside Recovery, we are working to change the narrative and empower people to recognize addiction as a disease, not a moral failing. We can recover, and we do, as evidenced by the thousands of people who have taken that courageous first step and asking for help. You can discover more at rrtampa.com. That's rrtampa.com. Or reach out at one 800 871-5440. That's 800-871-5440. 1-800-871-5440. Learn more at rrtampa.com. Reboot your life today.